Gaming MBS, episode 325, being recorded Monday, January 11th, 2021. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back, everyone. Glad you're all here. Sean, how the hell are you, brother? Fine, Brett. How are you? I'm in pain, but that's okay. I got my surgery scheduled. Hey. 29th. That's great, man. Yeah. It's fantastic. 29th. They'll uh, slab me out, cut me up, and fuse my spine. Great. Hey, just uh, let's just hope you come out. Uh, having everything that you went in. Yeah, I asked. I asked for the uh, the uh, the bionic or steam powered something, and they, they said that wasn't available yet. Which yeah, I thought a cybernetic was cybernetic arm or something. Like yes, I was hoping. Six for that. million dollar man. I think I can. I've got six hundred. <laughs> so they have the technology. I just don't have a lot of money. <laughs> oh Lord. Anyway, did you get any gaming in? Well, before last uh, since we've last. No. No, I got to play a Conan two D twenty game, the Modifius game. You get you what? You got into one? I got to I got to play. My buddy Nick has Uh-oh. run it before. He said, "Hey, I want to do that again." And now that you're up here and you're a big Conan fan, you know the setting. Can I? You, you, would you mind if we like had like an ad hoc game and a campaign? Going? I'm like, "Fuck, dude, I'm, I live here now. Let's do this." So, roll up characters, started it. I think Nick's doing a pretty good job. Um, he asked me, "What do you think?" I said. I would do it different. And he goes, oh, is it bad? I said, no. I said, you're running it the way you would run it. I said, I am more of a, from the Hyborian setting and all that stuff, I'm more of a purist as to how I feel the adventures should feel and run and so forth. I said, what you're doing is totally fine. I'm experiencing the system. It's great. I said, it's not, don't be uh, ashamed, upset or anything like that. I said, I, if I do it and run it, I would have a different pace and tone than you do. However, He's doing a great job <clears throat> getting us to experience the languages, the the groups, the places within Hyboria. So it's pretty nice. I'm having a good time with it. It's fantastic, man. I am signed up for Gabe's uh, 2D20 Conan games on the 21st of January, I believe, is the date. I don't think. We're- so I tell you, man. After you pl- after you play that, and I've got a couple sessions in. We got to talk about the game system Ooh. on the show. We have to. That's a topic built Ooh. in right there. Are you doing online characters yet? How are you guys going to go about he's that? He's provided a generator. So he's like, just go to this and you can do it random or you can pick. And I said, okay, I don't know. Nice. Um, thing is, I'm not Conan guy, right? And I'm, I don't read Howard and the movie. I think I've seen maybe once. I'm, I'm just, yeah. So I'm going to go with the flow. I'll, I'll be fine. Just hope I don't ruin the feel. No, I don't think you will because it'll mean. From my perspective, what I've seen so far, the combat mechanics, the social interactions, the other skill sets and so forth, and building the character, it enhan- it does what it can to help keep the feel there. When I talk about Nick not having the feel, it's more about his plot. He has a, he has a plot that I'm like, this is very intricate. This is actually, quote unquote, too intricate, <laughs> in my opinion. That's Brett's opinion. It's a good game. The, oh, what's going on? We have to figure this out. Perspective is neat. But a lot of the uh, 
Conan stories, in Brett's opinion, are very straightforward, which makes them fun to read and so on. But I think you'll be fine, dude. The game's running it. He's a BSer. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's a solid guy. It'll be, it'll it'll be, be fine. It'll be good. Oh, and I did get to play, <coughs> excuse me, um, my buddy Alpha's The Undermountain Game, the uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Um, I mentioned this, <laughs> I think, in our uh, in our Discord. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, the group is having a hard time overall with, why are we here? Because all the plots and reasons we had to be in the dungeon, we've encountered and solved. Like, hey, there's this riddle or this myth or this thing you're trying to find out. We have encountered and done all of them. So right now, the biggest thing we have is let's go kill some drow, <laughs> which is entertaining to in a point. The, the combats are fun. We're having a good time doing that. But the in-between phases, it just we just seem to be rudderless. We just can't find a, a groove to go in. And we're trying, all of us are trying to like, well, maybe this is the plot or this is the thing we should do or whatever. Well, we can make up our own thing. We are just struggling. And I don't know if it's... Alpha and I have not had a chance. I was hoping this last weekend to have some private time to talk to Alpha about it because I didn't want to say, dude, I'm bored. Because I don't... I mean, it's a little boring in spots. And I can't tell is like, is that just the way the adventure's rolling? Or is that how we're reacting to the adventure? And I want to give... Um, I don't be a good player. I want to talk to my DM and say, hey, man. Man, I'm feeling this. Is that me? Am I doing something wrong? How could I... Can I step up my game and help you? How could I make this better or help you make it better? Because it's kind of, none of us have a reason to be down here right now. You're like, yeah, fuck it. We're out of here. <laughs> Back to the owning portal. Sell my stuff. Moving on. I don't know what that would do to him. <laughs> because we, we're at that point where we're like, I don't want to wreck Alpha's game if he's planned all this stuff. But so I'm going to talk to him. Talk it out like grown like grown folks and see what we can figure out. I uh, started um, reading the DMG on optional rules. Did you? They're not as many as I thought there would be. Honestly, there's not a there's there's sanity. Did you see those? I did. There's some good stuff in there. A little bit of horror pieces. Yeah. So Sean and I have been talking about. And we got to cut through this quick, I think, because we got some good random we encounters do, here. Yeah. But we've been talking about how we want to attack Rhyme of the Frostmaiden after I've moved in, had my surgery, and we kind of sort out how we're going to attack it. Like, do we do 5e? If we do 5e, which rules out of the core books, the DMG and the PHB, do we want to use? We started digging into the uh, the DMG around, you know, the uh, what were we just talking about? You know, the... Uh, the, the blah, 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 all the, the different healing rules, the uh, horror rules, lingering so on so injuries. Like, lingering injuries. Thank you. Good God, I couldn't come up with that one. But yeah, how do we want to do that? Because we want to go into when he runs it and I run it, we're still leaning in that direction. So that way we're both playing with the same tool set. Well, that, we don't necessarily have to. So we don't have to, but at least that's kind of what we talked about last time anyway dude was like if we had the same tool set then they'd be like oh how are you doing how's this working for you type of thing oh, but we don't have to fair but but anyway that's what we're noodling on it's gonna happen i apologize it's taking longer than anticipated but um my move and the surgery scheduling kind of fuck up my whole life so i apologize it's fine at least sean's giving me a bunch of books that makes me feel, that makes yeah, me happy bread a whole shit ton of books all right, shall we random encounter? Yeah, let's brother? get into random encounter. Let's move it on. Let's move it on. Random encounter. 
emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Most, I think, uh, if not all, except for Matt's, are from the forums. Otherwise, Matt emailed us. Why don't you start them? Matt. DM Matt. So this is kind of weird because he gives us a screenshot of something. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to read the screenshot accurately. That's okay. Keep going. We'll see what we can figure out. All right. So DM Matt emails us on Brett using different ability uh, skills, abilities for skill checks. Okay. Hey, Sean and Brett. That's what he says. Uh, I was listening to episode 324, Playing to Pretend, and Brett was talking about using different ability scores for skill checks. I knew I had heard something about this before, and I think Jeremy Crawford may have even done a segment on Dragon Talk about it, but here's what my Google Foo turned up anyway. And he has a link, and he says, There is a section in the PHB entitled Variant Skills with Different Abilities. And the two specific examples they give are using constitution on an athletics check um, to swim an unusually far distance. And it says, similarly, when your half-orc barbarian uses a, dis- uses a display of raw strength to intimidate an enemy, your DM might ask for a strength intimidation check. Um, even though intimidation is normally associated with charisma. Charisma. Naturally, an ability switching would, uh, any ability switching would be subject to the DM approval. The rule is a variant and thus might not be adopted by all DMs. Even if it is adopted by your DM, they are the decider for when, when it is applicable and it might not be doable for all characters within a group. A DM might rule that you can't use another ability unless you're proficient in the check, for example. In fact, the raw only explicitly mentions checks you are proficient in. So in some situations, though, your proficiency might reasonably apply to a different kind of check. In such cases, the DM might ask for a check using an unusual combination of ability and skill. Or you might ask your DM if you can apply a proficiency to a different check. Uh, PHB, page 175. But there is raw support for switching abilities. Oh, neat. Cool. So he continues, looks like the rule book backs Brett up and the gaming police won't be dragging him away for <laughs> his crazy ideas after all. Uh, thanks for the great content and conversation as always. You guys always give me something to think about how to run my next game better than my last. DM Matt. And am I allowed to just refer to myself as that? The other guys leaving their names and messages do. Who is the accrediting body for DMs? I think Sean and I are, and uh, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. It works. You are Carry on. DM Carry on, Matt. 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 <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when we finally get back to cons, I got to do that. I got to bring one of my Albion swords, and I will I will knight people game masters. Maybe that's a thing we do. We'll uh, officially tell them that they're real game masters. <laughs> Give them their their, their gaming police shirt. Here, here you go, my my child. Go forth. We should them. put that a shirt on a shirt and put it in our short store. Official game master. That way, people can come up to people and say, "But what is what does that mean? What does official game master mean?" I don't know. Do you have the shirt? Well, no. Well, then you're not. And just and just walk away. You just have to just buy shrug, the shirt. That's all. Just shrug and walk away. Yeah. Good stuff though, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Thanks for calling that out. I um, as I said, I didn't think it was a crazy, crazy idea per se, um, but it's something I've been toying around with, and I like the idea that it's called out as like, hey, you could totally do this type of thing because sometimes it does, um, it does help to say, hey, I want to do something different. Much like when Sean and I were talking earlier about using 
the 5e variant rules for lingering injuries and so forth. Sometimes you tell players, hey, I want to use this thing and it's an official D&D thing or the rules back up what I want, I'm trying to do here. It's not half-baked and crazy. What that does, I don't think it necessarily adds a, a level of authenticity or, oh, that's a real thing then. But I think sometimes players don't like to feel as if they are playtesting something in the middle of their game, right? Or like, are we playtesting this or is this real? Right? What if we don't like it and so forth? So sometimes something that's official has a at least air of it's been place tested or been it's been thought through enough that it should work. So I think that helps sometimes. Anyway, good stuff, man. You ready, Sean? I'm ready. <clears throat> Let's see. Tom comments on spot hidden. Um, ooh, this is good because I wasn't here for this one, so I don't feel as bad as when Tom says in general, this was a frustrating podcast. I've kept yelling, no! at my phone. Luckily, I was by myself. If something is needed, they don't need to roll. If they can get additional information, that's interesting. Not anything that's really necessary, but something that might open up a new avenue of investigation. If the role is to spot something vital, I might have everyone roll to see who notices it. Maybe it implicates uh, that PC's mentor or other party member. Uh, something that can lead to interesting role-playing or sure they hear the murmur of voices but maybe they can't make out the words what if the speakers what if the speakers aren't in the room with, uh, with the window open but over on another room over god i can't read um i want to address your ranger example ranger example because we never use the random role generation or wouldn't make intelligence a dump stat if the player does that deliberately then he can't complain about having a sucky ranger <laughs> you mentioned trail of cthulhu and you nailed it you always get what's needed to progress and if you roll, you might get more. I personally dislike Trailer Cthulhu because I really don't like that kind of resource management. Quote, my detective is great at finding those extra clues, but then he gets tired of finding them, and then he can't anymore. Unquote. But basically, yes, as a GM, I make extensive use of perception and skill rolls. <sighs> I don't mean by requiring a lot of them, but I use them strategically when failure is interesting, or if some player succeeding and some failing could be interesting. It opens up possibilities that aren't really available by just giving them everything. It lets them know that their character's abilities do matter and can actively impact the story. I'll mention an older game, Corpse, uh, Core, C-O-R-P-S, I can't remember if that one's actually pronounced Core or Corpse. I can't remember what the, if it's, anyway, by BTRC. In that game, any modifiers for darkness, fog, taking extra time, rushing, or anything that might make something easier or harder to succeed at are applied to the difficulty. If that final adjusted difficulty is equal to or lower than the character's relevant skill or ability, then they automatically succeed. Only if it's higher do they need to roll. It's a nifty mechanic that, it, that I apply in principle to any system. If it's an average lock, the thief is of average ability or better, he won't have to roll to open it as an example. Interesting. I can tell you, Tom, one of my, one of my game group, uh, Lenny, would be like, bullshit. And I'd be like, what do you mean bullshit? And he would say, no, if, if, you, if you're playing Call of Cthulhu and you're supposed to figure out X, Y, and Z, you show up in the room and you fail and you don't find it, you don't find it. And if the world ends because you forgot to find it, whatever it is, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Forgot or your dice rolled like shit? Both. Doesn't care. Yeah. You forgot that's... to look, your dice failed you. That's the game. It is... Um, Apocalyptic level horror, nihilism at the highest level, it, that to his mind um, emulates the setting and the system and so forth. Again, that it tells you that outright. This is what I do. This is how I run. Y'all don't like it. You know where you came in. 
<laughs> Again, not to everyone's taste, but I, I, under, I actually understand and I do appreciate both sides. What do you think, Sean? Well, I mean, I did the topic, so... He was yelling at you a lot. He was he was not in agreement with some of the things I mentioned. I thought I did say though, like <laughs> like I called him out too on the forums. I said, "Hey, man, hold on a second. Hold Easy on, now. hold on. Oh, yeah, right, right, you say right, this, right, and, and then you say that. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Um, <laughs> cool though. That's good stuff. Yeah, it was good. It's good. All good. You ready, man? Oh, I'm ready. Man. Next one's yours. Go. Old school DM comments on spot hidden. Talking about D and D. Puts that out there, right? Mm-hmm. When talking about game mechanics such as ability checks, I'd really prefer to hear about good examples instead of constant complaining about bad examples, such as trying checks over and over or critical clues missed because of bad design. Agreed. I th- Agreed. It is very easy to cast stones. It is very easy to cast stones. And say, oh, this sucks because I had two bad experiences this one time. That's right. Yeah, it is easy to do. Carry on. Here are some counterpoints to the podcast. Not all wisdom perception checks involve critical information. Let's not assume they always do. Fair point. I like that. I do. I really do. It's okay to have someone miss or miss a distant footfall or not be able to make out the details of conversation through the floor. It doesn't have to. Every time you're asking someone to roll for perception, this just kind of comes down to some of the die rolling stuff. And it might even be a habit. Like, look, if every time you roll for the dice, it's like, oh, my God, win, lose, or draw. Oh, it's always, you know. No, I get I get what he's going at here. This makes sense. Keep going, man. This is good stuff. Uh, D&D encounter design supports up to three information states. Pre- P, pre-check information. Default information that you get for free. AKA box text. Uh, F, failed check information, partial information. And then S for successful check information, the most detail, PFS. There is distinction between P and F in any case where there is an active check. There may be other circumstances that would be, that would reveal F or even S information. For a passive check, the DM will give out either P plus F or P plus F plus S. (laughs) Therefore, if there is critical information that is required to proceed, uh, it should be presented in group P or F. Anything else is bad encounter design. Example, critical information to learn. There are people in the next room, but they are distracted. P, you think you saw a shadow, this is pre-check, you think you saw a shadow move under the floor crack of the door. More information requires an active check. F, listen. You hear two voices, but you can't tell who or what they are talking about, but it isn't sounding friendly. You don't want to push harder as you might be discovered. S, or listen. Uh, you recognize the voice of Mistress Mary and an unidentified male, and they seem to be having an emotional spat of some kind. I always think of wisdom perception check success as bonus information. A reward for investing in your character and play at the table with a bit of luck. But you always get something in the attempt, even if that something isn't always good. And that's all before you even start thinking about alternate ideas such as level of success, which just adds more information states and is included in many existing official adventures. So that's a reason, I think, to pick up an occasional official adventure 
um, even if it's not like one of the big, you know, fifty, sixty dollar books. Grab some of the other stuff um, from Five E. Again, we're talking D and D here, and which is great um, that uh, old school calls out like, "Hey, we're talking about D and D here." So, because when you read through that adventure design, you can see, oh, yes, it, it the way they're breaking it down. When you read through that, that's how it's intended to be played. That helps to at least does for me anyway, when I read that stuff, like, oh, here's another cool way to use the skill set. And uh, frankly, I do that. The the PFS, the pre, the failed, the successful, the varying degrees is what I try to do in Avalon as well, because it becomes, it's kind of that gumshoey type of thing, right? Where if you're good at something, you walk in, you will get the thing. If you spend points, you get more thing, right? You get better, cooler stuff based on it. But yeah, like, um, I think that's one of those DM tricks that those of us who've been doing it for a long time have developed a way to do it, figure it out. Yeah, we, you know, pull that trick out periodically. You know, when we want to keep things going. Like, oh, you you to his example, you see shadows, you hear muffled voices, or you hear clear voices based on the level of success or the level of failure. I think that's something a lot of people do. And a lot of times there is, as he says, it's very easy to throw the rocks and say, it's all pass fail, blah, blah, blah. Eh, it's no, you gotta you gotta un- Got to unpack that a little bit more because it's not just pass fail. So I like that. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, old school. Very good. Let's see. Rory <coughs> comments on spot comments on spot hidden. Uh, first off, Sean, great show. Oh, he wasn't yelling at you. Now let me get on my soapbox. You're going to climb up there. Um, all right. I recall a lot of old school modules, first and even third edition modules always had a through line where by default you could always find the information you needed about the villain and or find your way through the dungeon without any searching, listening, etc. However, if you did search for secret doors or hidden clues, you could find cool extras, perhaps some secret about, <coughs> excuse me, some secret info about the villains and how to stop them or shortcut through the dungeon or some extra magic that might help you out. That's how I've always played that sort of thing. And most adventures I own have used that formula. Note, I've only run 5e adventures that were updates to 1e, so your mileage may vary on the other adventure paths out there. I also want to note that none of the examples Sean was reading from covered anything that contradicts what I mentioned above. All the examples from the book are either necessary, sneak, hiding, spotting, and ambush, or quote-unquote special circumstances. Listening through a door, listening outside a window, spotting candlelight under a secret door, all those are situational and may require a check. They are special circumstances. If the conversation is loud enough to be heard, then no role is required. But if people are talking quietly, then the GM calls for a role. It seems very straightforward. If the candle under the secret door, come on, of course that's a role. Secret doors should be a bonus discovery, not the only way to move the plot forward. They should be a reward for exploration. If the module you are running makes it a requirement, that's a failure of the design, not the rule set. Bad guys sneak up on good guys, slash good guys sneak up on bad guys. You need a perception mechanic to handle that. One, he had surprise rules, and the hide in shadows move silently rules. Certain monsters and classes were more alert. Dwagar and rangers sprang to mind. Certain monsters were sneakier, elves and bugbears. Which I always thought was funny for bugbears to be sneaky. Um, that's just, that's a Brett aside. Anyway, back to Roy. Raising or lowering the surprise chance. <laughs> Even in Brett's no skill um, AD&D game, he's still probably using a check to see if monsters are surprised when his players sneak into the villain's lair. His rogues are going to move silently. Indeed, I do. I blame a lot of this on actual plays and the number of 5e DMs who watch them and read advice from people watching them. Arguably, the largest AD critical role is super guilty of this. 
it seems like every time the players come upon a room, Mercer calls for a perception check before even describing the place. I've seen him struggle when a player rolls a one and tries to figure out what to say. <laughs> then the dog pile starts as everyone else tries to get a description of the room. I've seen the player ask, and what does the guy we look uh, we see look like, and the perception check is required. I mean, come on, that's just bad DMing. I like his story world enjoy his players, but man, that guy needs to figure this shit out. <laughs> what books are on the shelf should not require a search check unless you're being chased by vampires. And your question is, do I see a copy of the Necronomicon on the bookshelf I can grab as we flee the library? I've never had an issue with skills, and I ran a lot of 3 and Pathfinder as well as D&D 2 with skills over the years. I do have a problem with Pathfinder skills. Okay, first level rogue, you're hiding, give me 20. 27? What the? F you rolled a 12? But <laughs> that's a different issue, because yes, that's that is possible. Oh, uh, find out their bonuses and roll perception checks behind the screens. That's how moving silently, listen, and hide checks worked back in the day. How could the players possibly know they searched the room and didn't find anything because their roll was poor? Okay, climbed on over the soapbox. Ah, puts it away, as you were. Rory. Thanks, Rory. That was cool. Yeah, thanks, Rory. I do. One of the things you call out there, um, I've, I don't watch um, Critical Role, so I don't know. But there is the potential to. I know Sean. I know, I know. I'm a critter. Um, Sean's a critter. Sean's a closet critical rollophile. He's got everything. He's a critter. He's got everything. You can't see it on camera if you're watching because it's all off to the. I'm going to do some uh, fan art and send it in. Yeah, It'll be like exactly. stick people. However, the. Um, it's a thing. I, I worked with my kids on this when they were when the game master. I'm like, you don't have to make people roll skill checks for every fucking thing. I don't say that to my kids because they're kids. And that's rude. Don't lie. But you know, <laughs> kind of do. Ages <laughs> fourteen, he could take it, little bastard. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, you don't have to make skill checks for everything. What does he look like? Well, roll perception to see if you notice the color flower on his. Oh, for Christ's sake! Just tell me what the guy looks like, right? Some of that stuff is kind of a gimme. Um, yeah, I think. There's some. There were some good points up here. I like this. This was good, Rory. Thank you, man. I like it. Yeah, good stuff, everybody. Thanks for commenting on the forums and opening my eyes. Takes a while, but we'll get him. We'll I'm get him. I'm we'll in a deep him. sleep. <laughs> All right, let's get to the main topic. All right, Brett. You ready? That is the, always the ultimate question. <laughs> All right. So Bill Arnold on the uh, on the forums brought the fact on here and a couple of places I bought Symbarium um, by Free League Press. I'm like, ooh, this looks really cool. And one of the things that really grabbed me was the setting. So I went big and I bought a whole bunch of stuff. Like, ooh, cool. I love lore. I love this stuff. I want to learn all this crap. And I started a conversation with Bill and I. And he says, um, so let me read this here. So I was happy to hear you mention Symbarium in a recent show. Have you had a chance to read it yet? I bought it and have been slowly digesting it. I like a lot of concepts. My main problem, one of my main problems, is that the class descriptions include info about the world that was, that was intended to go with it. I think I prefer to create my own fantasy set, setting than to try to merge everything together than to use their system. And I thought about that. I'm like, huh, interesting. My response was, you know, the setting is actually what captured me first and then the mechanics. Mechanics are all player facing. I want to investigate more into that. And I think this setting um, speaks to me and I think it'll work really well for my players. Um, however, I found that, I, and I love lore, right? I like reading this stuff. I think you could build your own setting using rules and mechanics and races. That's 100, 
present legit. I mean, I'm the guy who wrote an Avalon setting that's using 5e, so I've been asked to say, no, you can't do that. That's wrong. But I think one piece that I said to him was that I've learned with my crew that if I try and lore dump too much, it'll fail. The whole game will fail. Because there's like, okay, this is the setting. This is this. This is this. This is this. Oh, yeah, don't forget that. Oh, and elves are this way. And halflings have a different colored left toe. And it just, it becomes, what? It's too much. And if I give them a big-ass handout, like, hey, read the player's guide. They're not going to fucking read it anyway. Too long, didn't read. Gone. So they just tuned me out. So what I try to do is find other ways to slowly insert my lore into stuff. You know, I'm not tearing through everything and and trying to dump it all at once. So, Sean, the reason I also brought this up is you just bought um, uh, Forbidden Lands. I did. I started reading the PDF uh, a little while ago. It hasn't all sunk in, but... And Alien. And we were and looking at, like, the... And I've been running Greyhawk. And even Star Wars. We chatted about that a little bit off the mics. And my buddy Nick, he's running the Conan game, as I said. And uh, I know more about the Conan setting than he does. So he looks at me periodically to add color to help him out with um, with something if he's not quite sure or, or he needs a hand. So I help him. But like when I play Star Wars, I don't know half as much or even a quarter as much as Sean does. Less than, way the hell less than Lumrunner. Nick is a Star Wars guy. He knows a shit ton of stuff. I it's very easy for me to get lost if they do too much of a lore dump. And I thought about it, my way of doing it, I think, Sean, is very similar to yours in that when I played Star Wars with you, you didn't lore dump heavy. You said, okay, now it's like, here's the, the Empire that this, so you're familiar with that, good. You didn't get into, well, you do realize, you know... This group and the Mon Calamari really don't like this group, and that's why they're having a blah, blah, blah. We're like, uh... Which was really helpful. That's because I, I thought you saw the movies and I wouldn't have to. I read, I've read. i seen most of the movies. <laughs> most of the movies. I did. But there's lore, there's lore way past the movies, as oh, you Oh, yeah, know. yeah, like, for shit, sure. Tons of stuff. Tons of stuff. So, Sean, how do, does that... Have you ever run into that where if you like, ooh, I've got a new setting... We've talked about this a little bit with like getting a campaign out there and so forth. When we're buying a new game and it has all this really kick-ass lore packed into it, right? It's almost like in D&D, you can, if you buy a module, it goes, boom, here you are in this piece of the Forgotten Realms and throws a bunch of stuff. You don't go buy a Forgotten Realms box set like you used to back in the day, right? You get an adventure that's set in a thing. Um, but do you run into that or do you ever... Does that concern you? Like, hey, I got Forbidden Lands. Oh, this is going to be great. I need to... I got all this lore I want to deploy. Do you find yourself sometimes kind of rushing to cram as much out there as you can? Or or uh, does it not even bother you? You're just, you're just too good for that. Yeah, there's a couple things that answer. One is I'm not... I'm on the fence as it relates to predetermined campaign settings or or... Hey, I'm going to run an Eberron game. And if if you want to play, here's the Eberron campaign setting. And everybody, all the players rush to get it. I think I actually did this. Hey, we're going to explore Eberron. We're going to do Eberron. This was 3-5. And, and all the players went out and got the campaign setting, which is great. Like, hey, wow, that's, that's awesome. crazy good. Yeah. And because they, they want to, well, what's this artificer thing? What's this dragon mark thing? And that's fine. 
I also think that's a drawback of some of the games that I actually want to run, which is, you know, there's a difference between going, I'm going to play in games, right? Conan game. I don't read Howard. I know mm-hmm. Hyperborea, like from Vaguely. the name, yeah, from from astonishing sources of Hyperborea. But I'm not, and I've watched the Conan movie once, and that was probably God. I'm, I don't know. I, I mean, literally, it's been God at least thirty years, right? Yeah, you you don't you can't quote it. You don't know you don't know Howard quotes. You're not you don't. Yeah, I know Crom, right? I know yeah, Crom. Okay, yeah. good for you. Yeah. If I said Mitra Ishtar, <laughs> right? You'd be like, what's that? Yeah. But my my point is is that there is. It, it depends on what you want to run. Like if I say, hey, we're going to run Eberron, and it's a very um, rural, like not rural, uh, urban, right? It's an urban, like I'm going to put you guys in Sharn and there's these po- politicking factions and this is how they're all related. Then great. And they, you give them the book and they want to read all that crap. Great. I don't, some of them will, like if you premise some of it and then some people will not read one word, but there's also something to be said about running the campaign where it's, you know, DCC's kind of got that approach. You start in this town and everything beyond the cornfields or Bree or the river is, is unknown. Scary, crazy, unknown, big beasties. You know, you just mm. don't go that far because bad shit's going to happen. And so you do and you're starting to explore and you kind of get an old map and then it becomes this kind of uh, of wonderment. So it. I'm not a so part of me is like dumping lore. Eh, it it depends. Now, have you run into it before where you you're kind of easing the lore right out there? They learn stuff, they learn stuff, they learn stuff, and somebody goes, "Oh, that's how elves are." Oh, that's not how I made my elf. <laughs> well, I didn't know that's how Mandalorians acted. Oh, well, I don't like that. Have you have you ever bumped into that? I have. So I'm just wondering if it's, <laughs> is it just me? Is anybody else had that problem? Sean, have you heard, have you had this? Yeah, I, th- I, I, I find it hard to believe that I've never run into something like that. Like, or they're playing it, dare I say wrong? You know, or they, you know, you get the, the woody elves and they're like the country bumpkin elves, but they're not playing, they're, they're playing the high elf, right? They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Elrond and they don't smile yeah. and they're, you know, Vulcan and, uh, <laughs> the Vulcan elves. Funny similarities. Anyways, um, so, so yes, I but I don't. I can't think of a perfect example off the top of my head. But I'm sure I've I had have. it where I've had it happen a couple times. Where what I try to do to avoid that because I've had it happen where somebody's like, "Oh, I want to play a dwarf." Yeah, that's great. Then they find out that dwarves are slavers, or they find out that dwarves were recently imprisoned, and that they or they're just freed, or they're into this thing, or they do that, and they're like, oh. Well, that's not my dwarf. But when do you give that, that to him, Brett? What was that? When do you give that to them? Aha. So what I try to do at the beginning is say, okay, here's some options for you of what you can make. And I think this is kind of a case, if you will, um, the reason why to do a slower lore dumping, kind of getting people into it, is to say, hey, this is the first game we're going to play in this new world. So here's some options I'd like you to choose from. Once you get into it more, we can expand the character uh, races, groups, classes, um, whatever you want to call it. We can expand your horizons in there. But however, let's start with, um, you know, half elves, 
Mandalorians, dwarves, and, you know, Wookiees. That's all you have. It's a weird-ass world. So, okay, cool. All right, that, that's it. So the people pick that, and then they have information I give them about that so they can make, prop, make proper characters, or they understand the stereotypes, the things that are normal through the world, and if they want to break that normal, they're free to do so. And then as they adventure, they encounter something. Like, oh, my God, there's tieflings. Wow. Fucking A. Oh, I, I encountered a dragonborn. Wow, that's really cool. Oh, wow, there's, you know, Calam- Mon Calamari. Oh, that's cool. What are we going to do? Oh, I'd like to be that next time. I've got them hooked. They learned something new about this. When this campaign is over, they want to re- They want to come back and explore another piece of the lore, a piece of the world, by showing it to them a piece of the time. So it's kind of a... I have So I... I for me, when I kind of went here, lore dump, you could be all of this cool shit. And um, my players go, oh, my God, I want to be this thing. And I go, well, just, uh, now remember, if you're a troll, that means, oh, they were so excited to play a troll. And then I had to go, oh, hold on, hold on there, Dave. Now, remember, trolls are all blind, except at moon during the full feasting of, and they're like, what? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, I guess trolls are stupid now. I just shot. I just shot part of my lore. I made, you know, you know what I'm saying? So if I limit it a little bit for character gen, I keep them within the DCC approach of this is a small little place. You're here. You're going to start here. This is the lore you have to work with. And as they adventure out of it, they get more. And then as they really understand so forth. So when I run an Avalon game for my home group, they've been playing with me in Avalon forever. So they say, I want to make a noble. I want to make a guy from the docks. I want to do this. 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 They know how Brett runs. They know what I do. They don't worry about um, how's it all going to work together. Does it have to be a small neighborhood? Can I have a big neighborhood? Can I have a whole city quadrant? They don't worry about that shit. We've got it. We know the setting. We just roll with it. We got crazy ideas we want to try. We do that stuff. So for me, when I start, that's a way to do it. So like for Conan... For you, or for who, or for Gabe, I don't know how Gabe's going to pull it off. But if you have, a, if I had a whole crew of people who had never played before, I'm like, like, well, let's start in Aquilonia. Here's a great big country. You're over here on a, in the near the border kingdoms. You're near Nemedia. Whatever it is, I'll put you in a place. And then a rumor comes in. You meet a person from Zingara. A Pict comes in from the wilderness, and Asgardian shows up. Like, Ooh, what's this? What's that about? And you're learning bits and pieces. You may have heard stories, but now you get to experience it. So then again, you're you're cool on all of this. You love it. And so the next time I want to run another campaign, like, oh, you mentioned dwarves and trolls. I really want to try one of those. Can we do that next time? You're damn right you can. Let me tell you some more about that. And that person's ready to accept it and dig into it. So that's a, a piece I do when I start. Does that sound reasonable to you, Sean, or do you think I'm crazy? I think it's reasonable. Too much work? Um, I would be, I mean, and you, for the record, you'd probably want to cover some of the shit in session zero, right? Like, hey, you want to oh, be yeah, a troll? Be, Great. Yeah. Just no, so you know. And, and I should say, if you're going to do it in session zero, then, I, I mean, lore is great, but can we just, can we just make a ri- unwritten rule that players are never going to read anything? Let's just say that. Like, hey, players aren't going to read anything. And if they do, 
Yay, bonus. If they do, that's a sign. You know what that sign is, Sean? What's that sign? That, pers- that person's going to be a dungeon master someday. <gasps> that's the sign. Oh. That's the first sign. When they want to read all your lore and want to figure out how you did your world building or how the world was built, you have a game master on your hands, people. Whoa. Look out for nurture that one. Them. Yeah. Nurture them. Nurture them. Nurture them. Because yeah. that person's going to take your screen over when you're tired of this shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so give you a break. <laughs> yeah, get Nurture that person. Anyway, carry on. But I think you have to... But if you so if you do session zero instead of writing out a journal on all the races and the the nuances and the politics and the relationships, you actually convey it audibly. Like, hey, oh, you're gonna be a troll. Great. Just as an FYI, trolls in this setting, blah 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 blah. You're not gonna start out in that area of the country. We're gonna have you here, and then you will slowly get to understand some of the more history, deeper history and why they are like that. But these are the things that you basically know because you're the troll or some of the things that differ from standard. Are you cool with that? Yeah, that's cool. That's fine. Great. And then they run with the troll. But I think if you just say, hey, great troll, blah, and you puke it on them on a, on a text or a sheet, they may or may not read it. And then they'll, and then they'll run into that issue. They'll be like, what? I didn't know. And you're like, well, it's right in that sheet. Oh no, but you didn't tell me. Yeah. So the other thing you said that I really liked there, Sean, was the player has an option then to say, This is how trolls work. Do you want to be different? Because that would be fine. Do you want to be the troll who has amnesia? Do you want to be the troll who was abandoned and raised here? Oh yeah, that sounds cool. I might not know a lot of stuff. There you go. You could play the troll who doesn't know his own or her own people very well. Gotcha, right? I'm the Wookiee that was found and raised, and I don't understand this. I'm not from here, you know. So there's some coolness in that because you get to be, you get to have a bit of an outsider, uh, kind of an outcasty kind of belonging. There's some cool tropes and things you can pile onto that. So I like that idea too, and I think that's very, it's good to keep. That's wise. We need to hang on to that too because you can limit stuff. Or when someone says, "Boy, none of this suits me," you can say, "Well." I could open it up to Mandalorians, but I'm going to tell you right now that I wasn't planning to dig heavily into them right now. So we're going to have to have some distance between you and them. You're you know, something to separate you, that you're a different Mandalorian in some way. And quite frankly, you, there's probably players out there. I know I have them in my group. Other people do too. Like, ooh, I get to be different. Different is cool. Different is special. Different is fun. I get to be unique. And that's awesome. So if you are the troll and you're the troll that forgotten, doesn't know, raised by wolves, whatever it is, that's kind of cool that you get to be a unique type of thing. But you still get to dig into the lore because someone will find you and they'll spew some lore at you. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. I was raised by wolves. Uh, This troll doesn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. All trolls like me. Oh, I didn't know I liked me. Oh, my God. I've had it. I do like me. Oh, that's pretty cool. So that type of thing is out there. I think that's so when you, so Sean, as you're running a campaign, you're running it, um, do, you, do you have a method that you use? Like, do you have a strict rules according to Sean Hoyle here, how you get lore out to people through adventures? Or do you, I, I know you run a lot of pre-published stuff. Do you just kind of rely on the way the, the adventure lays out the lore and then fill in blanks when people ask questions? Because there's a lore dump at the beginning, then there's the dribs and drabs that people learn it as we go along. So how do you... Is there a method that you're using to get lore into the hands of the people? Uh, it, mm, may, yes. 
Maybe. There <laughs> is. Guess, maybe. There's a there is a vessel. Yes. To what is serve, that vessel? To serve it up. And I think it has to do with so, so I think we get here's one thing I think game masters get hung up on. All right. Let's knock on game masters. Let's knock on players enough. Let's knock on game masters. Well, that's that's fish in a barrel. Like game masters, that's hard. Game masters, those knuckleheads, what they'll do is they'll come down and they'll write a journal of, of everything or if it's a homebrew or they'll really get into they'll jam on their on their setting and especially if they have a homebrew i think they really dive in and it's great yeah it's awesome guys. they get excited hey, like, it just drives you nuts and they give they get all of yeah just get in your face bits, noodles yeah, yeah. yeah fantastic but rather than dump it all or or take the first session of a game and go hey all right here's the deal and you go into this you you play the bard npc and you dump all this on the players initially, I don't think a lot of it comes into play right away. And I think some people will say, just run it small, right? Even when you're creating the world. So some people will say, okay, I want to create a campaign world. I want to create my own setting. And a lot of game masters will tell you, don't bite off more than you can chew. Just give them, like, start in the village. What's the village about? What's the surrounding areas? Maybe some points of interest and leave it at that. Like, the deities maybe offer one or two if somebody's a cleric, mm-hmm. you know. But you don't have to go and write the next three hundred page plus campaign setting before you run the first session, because some of that could evolve and could come as things progress. Like the players can help yeah. you with that. Do your players ever give you this question? I get this a lot. Is hey, my my as a cleric, would my player know? Would my character know? Not my player as a cleric. Would my character know? Anything about this strange deity? You ever get that type of question? Oh, yeah. All and then the you say, oh, yes. Give me a religion roll. Right. And then you dump some lore on them. Right. Yes. Which is a wonderful way to do it. Right. And I think that's a that's a method that players, it's a way of handing lore to the players that is that is in-game, it's in-story, and it's interesting. So if I go to Lord of the Rings, whether you like it or not, from a, from a novel perspective, how Tolkien wrote it, there's a number of different bits and pieces. You don't have to know who the writers of Rohan are before you encounter them. Once you encounter them, now granted, Tolkien does some lore dumping in certain parts and some people are like, fuck, it's boring, blah, blah, blah. But there are other writing styles out there. And part of it is, is you journey across the world where your character goes from place to place, the Edge of Nick stories and um, the Iron Druid stuff. Uh, you read these um, and you get lore dumped on you. Shit, Terry Pratchett did a great job with Discworld. Lays a little bit of lore on you. Hint, 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 hint. You dive into his story, and you find out, oh, my God, this is how the city guard works. This is how this works. This is how that works. And you learn it as the characters are learning it, right? And the ones that should know it because of their job, their title, they've been there longer, they get to do the... You can almost see the character look to the author and say... I'm the town guard. What would what I know about this? Yes, you would. Yes, I did. Yes, I know all about this. And then they turn around and spout the lore to the to other players. And we don't. I don't often think of it as a lore opportunity, but as I was as we've been talking about it, I, I think it really is. It's one of those ways where you're slowly introducing it, Sean, as you said, through play, as opposed to, and <laughs> hoping everyone remembered everything you said. Yeah, and how many times have we run a game where we send the players off quite literally to a, a very unknown world to them and then expect them to make their way and then they get 
ticked off when the game master throws things at them that they don't have any clue about. And then there you get this disjointedness like, hey, that seems really heavy handed. Why is it, you know, instead of, hey, how important is it to hire a guide? Is it just to get them from point? Like, I think guides are under, you know, they're underutilized too as it pertains oh, fuck, to lore. I never you're right. No, you're dead right. Well, you know, we use guides as like, oh, I'm going to, I'm I'm in Chult and I need to find the tomb and I need to get through the jungle. Yeah, that's well, great. So it's like, what is it? Ten gold pieces a day. Ten gold pieces a day. And I got to help you out with a, a side mission. And you get a and you get a bonus on your don't get lost roll. Right. The don't get lost roll. I get a bonus. And that's I all you care about. That's, yeah. And that's the extent of the bonus. <laughs> well, that's what yeah. an inefficient use of a potentially great lore character. Now you take that and you say you're trying, I mean, take it uh, the, the long way down and the long way around. You've seen that oh, yeah. documentary. Oh, new, right? They got a new one too with Harley, electric Harleys. Did they really? Yes. Um, so if you haven't seen that, Brett and I have big... Uh, ex-motorcycle enthusiasts and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and his sidekick decided to ride motorcycles around the world and then from Scotland all the way to the Cape down to South Africa. And when they did that, you have to get handlers to, to go from one country to the next, right? You you got to contact somebody in the next country so they can come across the border, make sure you got all your paperwork in order, and then they escort you across and they... Yeah, the, the logistics, the, the people who did the logistics... I don't know how much they got paid, but it should have been doubled because of the shit they had to go through. But you're dead right, man. I mean, so let me let me throw this one at you. So in one of the five for the Grim Mauser stories, one of my favorites is the Howling Tower. They just had this other adventure. They're trying to get back home and they're crossing this plane and they hear this noise. And Fawford's like, oh, it sounds like wolves. And the Mausers, whatever, they have a guide with them. And the guide had said he'd crossed these planes many times. So they looked to him and go, what are those? He said, oh, no one's ever killed a wolf that I've ever known. Oh, the tower. Oh, there's this, there's this. And he spouts a bunch of crap at them. Next day, he's gone. So I, huh, that's weird. But it plays into it. That guide, through that mechanism, Fritz Leiber laid out mystery, dogs, arcane weird weirdness, and it's there's a tower somewhere near here. Interesting. Okay. Cool. So as that stuff develops, through, like, oh yeah, okay. That man, that guy's little folklore bit or the kind of knowledge he had, it fucking matter. I'm glad I paid attention to that because the Mouser, as he's running to save Fawford, spoilers for a you know 56 year old story. As he's running to find his now lost friend, he sees the thing. He's, Aha! I'm familiar with this. The guide already told me, so it's in the back of his mind. He's ready for this encounter. So you're dead right, Sean. It's, you know, you think about that for hex crawl, right? You're going out somewhere. Oh, I like it. And in space games, too. Space oftentimes can be a big uh, intergalactic hex crawl. Who's been there before? That's... No, that's cool. That's good. Because sometimes you talk to the guides, and it's in a lot of the old D&D ones. Oh, you could go get a guide. You could go talk to a sage. And they, there's rules <laughs> for what the sage knows. You know, those are other people that can spout lore at you. It's a hard assumption in a lot of role-playing games on what the player characters know. And it's sometimes assumed by the players that the game master is going to put them on a, a particular path or they're going to choose from three different paths. And that by doing so, the game master is going to fill in the blanks, which is true, right? That's kind of what we do to some degree. We have to paint the picture. But I also think that 
we don't we 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 don't leave the player characters as unknowing as they should be. Yes. Like every time they travel somewhere, it seems like you just get on the road and you go and everything's going to be fine and all the monsters are monsters that the player knows. And so it's not unfamiliar. And, you know, if you get lost, you're right. It's a survival check and, oh, damn, I'm lost. And uh, it's going to, oh, oh. So it's going to take me one day more, two days more to get to where we were. No big deal. I mean, so what? What are you going to do? And, yeah, if you're under a time constraint, sure, it plays a role. But, you know, knowing the culture or, hey, this is the deal, you're going to have to interact with this tribe or this clan that's local there. And this is the way the customs work. And if you don't do that, they're not going to let you travel through their country. So good luck making, you know time to where you need to go where it's going to take you 30 days to to na- circumnavigate that that area of land but you don't know that if you show up to the you know to the wood elven enclave in the far north if you don't bring an offering of food and wine they won't let you through the doors yeah, i mean well and how do they and so then the player character will be like wouldn't i know this right wouldn't i know this i've lived in this you know area of the world you think i would know this would i know this roll and then the DM says, oh, you got a 25? Yes, you have heard. And then, and that's one way to handle it for sure, right? There's That's not a wrong way. But but that's not as fun, though. Sometimes, again, not everybody, it, it's, it could be a one, like a one trick, bam, 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 a single note plucking constantly. I I didn't think about it this way, but I realized I, something you said about the, the, the guides and that NPC interaction, one of the things I like to do, and I didn't even think about it this way as a lore perspective, was, so I'll use my Greyhawk game. So when the guys come to this, the the, the Broken Drum, which is a name I stole from Terry Pratchett, this inn. Steal it and, like you freaking wrote it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you sit there and you're like, huh, interesting. So they show up at the Broken Drum, they're talking about this, like, oh, what's going on? Do I hear any rumors? One of my favorite things about the rumor mill is, who's there? Loker, locals. Ah, the king's taxing us too much. Oh, boy, we're going to have a bad winter. Oh, you know, oh, my gout's acting up. Oh, it's my knee again. Oh, the kids were doing this. The cats have turned upside down, so it's going to rain. What the fuck? So you get a group of people that are talking about stuff. Just what's here? Farmers, they're talking about stuff. They're talking about potential bad winter, which my Greyhawk guys have kind of been paying attention to. But they also heard rumor from the potential bad winter that when the winter was this bad last time, say the old gaffers and gammers, that is when the giants came down and Jeff had a problem, the Grand Duchy thereof. Huh. Could be an issue. So I've dropped that to them. And then when stuff starts to happen, somebody goes, huh, I remember hearing about that. It's a lore thing that somebody goes, well, I'm from Jeff. How come I never don't remember that? I could have had that question, but when they asked something, I'm telling them things that they would already know, but I'm reminding them of it. So from a emulating reality, how much shit do you know and do I know, Sean, that I don't remember until somebody says something? God, fuck, that's right. When you, If my grandmother sends you a gift, you better follow um, the proper etiquette and send her a goddamn thank you card. Even if you thank grandma in person, you send grandma a thank you card X number of days afterwards, either, otherwise you're rude. My generation, in general, and many others, don't give a fuck. My grandmother's generation, though, thank you cards are important. <laughs> it's just, I whatever. Yeah. It, again, it's a small piece. You don't know that. I happen to know that. 
whatever. It's just it's another. I think those N- those NPCs dripping that stuff, and not just like, well, there's your monster to kill. What do they know about the the tomb where Sarek is buried? Other things can be can come out, and I, I like that, especially like the guide. You're going somewhere unknown. What can they do to help tell you? Oh, we're going through dark elf territory. You better bring blonde. This is where the trolls are. You're going to the you know the Wookiee planet. What's that called? What one is that one? The planet Kashyyyk. where the Wookiees are from. Kashik. You're going to Kashik. If you don't do X, Y, and Z, you're gonna get your ass beat. Don't do that. Do this. You know, there's the Wookiees of Kashik have a very strict X. Don't break these rules or whatever it is. Oh, I mean, it's good to know the one for Tomb of Annihilation that Jeff and the gang went through. You know, they got the chult, and they they lost their guide. They ended up finding another one through a competing group, and you know they really needed that one because a lot of things were written in a language none of them knew, but the guide knew. So every time they ran into some weird writing, they'd be like, "Hey, yo, whatever, you know, man, man, lady, come here. I need you to read this. What's it say?" Mr. Guide, sir, would you please kindly explain? <laughs> so every time they come to like, oh, it's written on this stone. Come here. And then they decipher it. But yeah, going back to, um, you know, and then there's the the classic, right? You know, do research. Go to the library. Let's, you know, read. Or who's the most intelligent of the group? Or who's the more more book book read in the group? Why? Maybe they, they're going to know more than, mm-hmm. you know, the knucklehead fighter that just, you know, makes his, his or her way in the fighting gladiatorial realm, right? And you can break, you can totally break fourth wall and go, look, if you guys want to learn some stuff here, I told you Samuel the Sage is down there, this wizard's here, and that cleric who seems like he's 210 years old, who's been all over the place, that guy, he li- he's right there. If you want to get some lore, I just gave you three people to talk to. Go on. You can do that. You don't always have to coax and, oh, I hope I can cajole them just right to go there. Sometimes you go, look, you're asking a question. You may not remember, folks, but I told you Samuel the Sage, he's just down the street. Oh, fuck, that's right. Samuel the Sage. Yeah. And I told you last time you asked, it was two silver for a day's worth of discussion. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, fuck, we got two silver. Then they run off and go. Again, that, that helps to stop it. Wouldn't I know? Wouldn't have I remembered that? Because when you hear that question with that snarky, snotty tone, that usually means, you know, they they feel like they're being had. They've been cheated. You know, a lot of times the, the person asking it in that way is like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They feel like they're being taken advantage of in some way and that you're being unfair, right? It's not always that way. And not everybody has that approach, but you can help cut some of that off, again, from a lore perspective through these through npcs like guides and so forth asking you know saying hey would i know this thing sure give me a role maybe you could know something and what especially if you're playing D like old school said in the in the uh, uh random encounter section of you know earlier yeah you can learn a little bit a lot you can know bits and pieces you know quite frankly and somebody rolls really shitty give them bad data that's fun yeah pre-art it does it doesn't mean i surrender just in case spoiler yeah <laughs> We got to do more long-term stuff, I think, in some games. That's a whole other subject where I think with, with Star Wars, FFG, I mean, these guys, you know, if they roll a despair, you know, it, it doesn't have to take immediate effect. You could use that despair based on their what's going on to come and bite them in the ass later. And I think in some fantasy settings and 
other settings. We don't do enough of that. So in this case, with with your example of lore, yeah, you go to lore and they you come up with some bad info. You come across the book that's not you think it's legit, and uh, turns out it's not. Turns out it's not, and you're on yeah. a goose chase. You get pissed off at the game master because they ran you on a wild goose chase. But you know how do you check? Then how did you check it? Like what's your what's your source? And then. Yeah. You know, they've invested all this time to go and do this and that, and then they find out there's nothing in the tomb, and then they're just a bunch of monsters, and they don't get anything. God oh, damn it. Yeah. So there's, you know, you got to kind of balance it out so you don't seem like the dickhead game master, but. But I think the the key here, from a takeaway perspective, is there's methods and means to give lore out in pieces. And I think, if you're very fortunate, we've talked about this before, ages back, if you've got somebody who really knows the Forgotten Realms, and they're not a jerk of a player, that person and you don't know, you know enough, but they know a lot more, you can lean on that person to help you. If I was going to run a Star Wars game, I would want someone like Sean, Nick, Humphrey, somebody who knows it better than me, that I could say, hey, I want to do this type of thing, does this make sense? Even if he's not in the game, I want to run it by Sean because I, I don't know enough. I want to you know, bounce things off of people. And it doesn't, and setting up things like, hey, you're going to go adventure, you're going to go somewhere, there's guides, there's sages, there's people who know things. And a lot of times people are more than happy to tell you stuff that they know without a wonderful skill check. You don't have to have a, you know, we'll give me a DC 15 persuasion to see if the, the bartender will talk to you. I, I've met, uh, I've, in my 47 years, I think I've met two bartenders who don't like talking. Right? They, might, not, they <laughs> might like talking to you, Brett. Oh, true. They may not like talking to me. Oh, well, I'm charming. You know, what are you going to do? Or a droid. <laughs> or a droid. True. Hey, we don't yeah. serve them, those yeah. kind of here. Your droids. They're way outside. That's right. Where to go, Brett. Hey, <laughs> Brett has Thank Star you. Wars reference. Yes. Look at that. Do it. There we go. I don't like you either. I've got the death sentence on 12 systems. That's right. <laughs> anyway. So I think the the key here, and um, I would step away from this kind of to wrap this up, and the other piece is that you as the Game Master do not feel that you need to have all the lore in your head at your fingertips to be able to answer every question forever. And that's one of the beauties of starting in a new game like Symbarium or Star Wars or the Forgotten Realms or anything that you're building into that you this is brand new for you unless you are my buddy, Alpha, who we also call the Alpha Namakan, because if he's read it, he remembers it. Unless you're him, or a reasonable version of him, or a better version, you're not going to remember it all. So if you start small, with bits of the lore, as you read and as you reread your adventure, or you're planning it out, and you reread that monster manual, and you pull open that, that book on Kashyyyk, that little splat book you picked up, well, holy shit, I didn't know. Oh, this will be cool. You can bring that cool thing you just learned into the game. And the players will love it. You'll have a good time sharing your lore in a very capsulated, piece-at-a-time approach. So don't feel that you've got to digest the whole thing either. Because that, if you feel you have to, it's very natural sometimes to assume then that you need to impart it all. And other people need to, to take it in. Start yourself slow. You can work the players in at the same speed. So, We good, man? Yeah, just think 
of the real world and how much you don't know about other countries and their governments and how things like that work or their histories. And then you take a world like Star Wars and then you have lots of planets within a galaxy or Forgotten Realms and, you know, you don't have internet and, you you know, you got the old Abbey and only certain people know how to read and write. It's... Firefly, any, any, pick one, man. Just it, pick one. It's okay for the one. players not to know anything about the world they're actually in. Absolutely. Don't have to all be lore masters. That's right. Good stuff, man. Thank you. Yeah. So if you've got like a ways to introduce lore, tricky ways, uh, and it could be just elementary, right? Like, hey, I just, I, I give them this and I, that's how I work. You know, let and us if know. You've got a game, you know, if you've got a game system out there too that has that built in, if there are mechanics out there and there's got to be somewhere somebody's designed this, like, hey, you know, a lore dump mechanic or a, I say it, therefore it is. I mean, some of that's handy too. I know Fate has some of those components, I think. But anyway, some of those things, even if that's not a system for you, bring it up to us if you would, because other people might want to steal it. So, we good? Yeah, let's get into Daryl! Daryl, two to four miscellaneous points game of geekery. want to bring to you first one, solo, but not alone. It's an RPG bundle, um, and it's going to benefit Jasper's game. Uh, Jasper's game is... Uh, a suicide awareness, uh, an individual has headed up by his name escapes me, but he runs here on Twitch, um, and runs these kind of marathons and puts money to, to Jasper's game. It's his, I think a nonprofit that's been going on for three years now. And so if you want some, they're alone, they're, they're solo RPGs on itch, big, huge bundle. And then they go to, um, that, that good cause. So. We've we've brought up solo RPGs a couple times in the past. So this if this is something you're interested in, or even if you know other people who've talked about it to you, point them at this because there's some there's some cool stuff out there. We just haven't had a chance to dig into them. Uh second one, isometric maps from Kyle Latino on Twitter, which I thought were pretty interesting that you could I think he's just got them out there for free for people to just download. That they're yeah, kind of cool. They remind me of some of the stuff that um Dig Doug does from from Doug Kovacs, DCC, yeah. yeah, Kovacs does some isometric and some DCC modules. So yes, check those out. Very neat. And then last but not least, uh, new Game Master Month. I think that starts officially in February. I think February. I think is it does. Yeah. Um, but we'll have a link in the show notes that talks about new Game Master Month. So if you're looking to take the dive. There are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six, four, six companies that are, hey, like Monty Cook's doing Numenera, and they're going to put out a blog entry on how to, you know, week one, week two, week three, how to run a Numenera game, Delta Green, Trail Cthulhu, Monster of the Week, RuneQuest, Unknown Armies. They're all participants. So if you want, if you have an interest in any of those games, and wanting to delve into the DM or GM space, uh, they're going to have some interesting articles up, and they've already started. So, Very nice. Yeah. Need more Game Masters. Absolutely. If we have more Game Masters, more games to play. Damn right. Damn it. I think it's been, I think, what was the, uh, I, I think there was a study or somebody had uh, um, an estimate that basically Game Masters, we, we make the uh, 
RPG publishing world go round. We buy shit. <laughs> We're the ones with bookshelves full of stuff that we have to give to Brett. So, <laughs> because we have to get rid of it, or we have to move it on at some point. We have a lot of stuff. Makes sense if you're wanting to target a specific group within the RPG space. It would be game masters. I, don't want, I mean, not that players don't buy their own share, but let's face it. My let's, God, we we spend a lot of money on our stuff. We do. Whew. Good stuff, though. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, what are you talking about next week, Brett? Well, I'm not positive, Sean. You and I have thrown a couple different ideas around. I want to get, I want to see if I can get you mad about something. So I'm thinking <laughs> about finding something I could just get you to rail at because I'm looking to kick back and relax. So there's the two yahoos I saw on YouTube this past weekend. They got my, <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll, got my blood boiling. Maybe I'll do that. And just let, just bring it up and let you go at the beginning. <laughs> there's a little teaser for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we'll see if that happens or not. God, it tripped across the. I won't even mention on the on the show. No, it's uh, just a bunch of idiots. Yeah. Gatekeeper. Anyway. Anderson. Yeah. Uh Raven Lofton, Jeff Mirko says. No. No. <laughs> no. But anyways, uh, no, we, gotta let, we gotta we gotta let that one scar up, Jeff. We gotta let that one scar up before we go too far. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um so thanks everybody that tuned in live. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you. We stream here on Twitch every Monday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. Tune in, see the fiasco. And if you can't, catch us on your favorite podcatcher of choice for the audio version. And then if you see this on YouTube, give us smash that like button and subscribe. Wish me luck. I'm moving. So next time you shouldn't see boxes, it should be in an actual my new office. So Every week since Brett has been in his temporary housing, he's got these massive book like boxes behind them and everybody's like oh is you haul the sponsor this week <laughs> hey brett nice background is that a green screen you know somebody threw out that i should put teeth on one so it looks like a mimic i, did, I didn't have time to do it today. <laughs> a mimic yeah that'd be <laughs> awesome <laughs> jumping behind me so yeah <sighs> thank you very much yeah what's in the box again that what's in the back. box what's in the <laughs> box i'll have one call back i like that yeah i like that otherwise have a good evening for Gaming NBS, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS produced with help from the following BSers. Jared Rasher, Ray Otis, Old School DM, Jason Hobbs, Andy Hall, Roger Brasslett, Brett Pazinski, Chris Steele, Larry Hout, Eric Frankhouse presents, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Craig Huber, Ron Bishop, Old Schoozer Roleplaying, Jim Fitzpatrick, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Sky, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jeff Seifert, Angus, Eric Salzweedle, George Sedgwick, Robert Nemeth, Brian Kurtz, Laramie Wall, Perry Besor, Eric Avia, Andy Olson, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Niall Diamond, Jeff Goad, Brian Rumble, David F. Balog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Henry Newcomb, Eric Tavola, Hus Carl, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Rory Weston, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Jason Weeb, Dollar Adventure Frameworks, Phil McClory, Jay Plata, Duke and Purple, Isaiah Aries, Christian, Vanta Blacklord, Larry Hollis, Quigley Malcolm, AWOL Trooper, Craig Shipman, Todd Sharp, Orcus Dorcas, Chris Shore, Michael O'Hallen, Christopher Lang, Chad Glayman, Josh Wallace, Adam Grotejohn, Ed Nyes, Corey Welch, Mirko Froelich, Rich Wishon, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, and Aaron Ralia. Hey, if you're interested in becoming a patron, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks, BSers!
This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.